Welcome to Good People Talk. This is where Good People Fund grantees come to talk about their vision and work, filling societal voids and uplifting individuals and communities in the U.S., Israel, and elsewhere around the world. Kavod Vinachum is a GPF grantee, elevating Jewish end-of-life discussion and practice. A major thrust is establishing and advancing Hevrot Kadisha, or Holy Societies, that support and assist individuals, families, and communities in Jewish end-of-life ritual. We join Sarit Wisniewski, the organization's executive director, and GPF executive director Naomi Eisenberger in conversation. Kavod v'nichum. Give the translation. Uh, so kavod is Hebrew for honor, and nichum is comfort. And honor and comfort are two of the core tenets of the Chavar Kadisha. Uh, we translate Chavar Kadisha as sacred society or sacred community or holy society. The the Chavar Kadisha are the group of volunteers uh, in the community who come together. Uh, traditionally, uh, volunteers uh, t- come together to provide honor and care for both the deceased and the living. Uh, two of the primary rituals within Chavar Kadisha that many folks uh, might be familiar with are Tahara and Shmira. Shmira, folks tend to know, it comes up sometimes in popular culture, um, that is guarding of the deceased, comes from the word uh, Shomer to guard. Uh, and we we sit with, it used to come from a very practical place, uh, which was to guard the, the deceased, the body from things that go bump in the night. Uh, now that is no longer the case, but we we are there to uh, to watch over the soul, to provide comfort to the living, uh, to know that their loved one is not being left alone, that the community is there with them the entire time. Uh, it is a spiritual uh, time. It's a time to read psalms, to reflect, to speak to the deceased. Uh, and the second ritual, tahara, is the spiritual and physical purification and preparation for burial or other uh, disposition. So traditionally, it is a washing of the deceased. It's in four parts. Uh, it's, a, it's a washing, a purification ritual, the actual tahara itself. We dress the body in tahrichim, in burial garments. That's the simple white linen burial garments, and we casket the deceased. Uh, and that's done with the utmost care and love uh, towards, towards the person. For those people that are part of Hebra Kadisha, the very act itself is incredibly moving and the group itself creates bonds that are probably very special. Definitely. And that's a really great question to also highlight Kavod Nichum's mission, which is that we provide as an organization education, resources, and training for Hebra Kadisha. And we really empower Chavar Kadisha to serve their communities compassionately through these Jewish end-of-life rituals. A big piece of that is really in the network. And I think it's one of the ways in which Kavod Venechum approaches what I would call volunteer engagement really uniquely. The organization was really created to bridge the divides between Chavar Kadisha. And I say Chavar, it's the plural that we use for Chavar Kadisha. Uh, right. The Chavar Kadisha 
but there was no central network for them, uh, that everyone was kind of in their own silo, you know, creating ritual, um, developing their, their local minhag, uh, their local tradition. And so much of this, almost all of this is really minhag, uh, not halacha, not law. Um, right. But we we develop minhagim that then become law in so many ways. But the groups were really doing this without the connection. And when the groups started to connect, magic started to happen. One of the things that became apparent really quickly was nobody is doing it exactly the same as anyone else. Not within any community, really. Um, that there are commonalities for sure. Right, there are core pieces of how Chavrai operate, how the ritual happens that uh, exist in tandem, like across, you know, all the all different uh, Chavrai. But in terms of, uh, you know, how the groups gather, what other things is your Chavrai doing? Right, are you expansive? Are you visiting the sick? Are you sewing your own burial garments? Are you building caskets? That that was this opportunity to to really get a sense of what this movement look like, right? Is this a movement and what is actually happening and giving permission and empowering people to say, I want to do this too. Like, oh, we can do it this way. That's amazing. I love this liturgy or this poem that you've added or this ritual of washing other members' hands. And suddenly leadership and membership of different chavre were able to connect through a yearly conference and ongoing classes and training opportunities and these bonds were beginning to form. These bonds were forming nationally as well, um, which we we believe, right? What one of the things that we really advocate is that that will also strengthen the chavra. We want not just chavra uh, kedisha to exist, right? It's not just about survive, continue, do the rituals, but we want it to to thrive. We want this to be a meaningful entry point, a meaningful engagement opportunity within a community. Uh, and in order to do that there there has to be engagement with the leadership um there has to be connections across many different groups to to facilitate uh questions and and support and to know that you're not alone in this i think for many people um because we have moved end of life into the shadows somewhat right we've we've moved it out of our homes we've given other entities in our lives to care for uh, the deceased, to care for those who are dying, we don't have that connection in the same way anymore. And so reconnecting is such a core piece of what we do. And the bonds between um, both Chavra Kadisha across North America and the United States and in Canada, making those connections really uh, strong and supportive, and then also emphasizing how Chavra is doing that in the local level, right? How can the leadership bring that back to make sure that everyone in their community feels a sense of purpose, is engaged, and is finding meaningful, meaningful moments in this? I'm sure that 24 years ago, there probably was not as much, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there probably was not as much interest in the topic as there is today. Uh, many chavre around the country, they tend to be comprised of people who are older. And I think a lot of that has to do with the readiness and the openness to confront mortality and being in a place that you've experienced life um, and can find yourself in this space without judgment and feeling okay in your own, in your own body, in your own being, in your own soul. Um, I think COVID really opened up a conversation for a lot of people, right, for better and for worse, you know, that we had to go through a pandemic 
in order to find ourselves more open and curious about what end of life means and how it impacts us. Some of us who are not prepared at all for to be impacted by it. You know, I think it impacted people both in the curiosity about end of life. And, you know, if you're, if you're come from a place of faith, likely, you know, what does my faith have to say about this? And I think it also impacted a lot of us when we think about our time uh, and wanting to spend our time in a meaningful and relevant way. And I think to that extent too, people have been really curious about meaningful engagement uh, in their communities, in their faith, um, and Chavra Kadisha has really risen up, I think, as an opportunity to meaningfully engage. What's the growth been over the 24 years that the organization has existed? So the organization really has grown tremendously over over the last couple of decades. You know, I, I think one thing to to note is that up until I was hired in uh, 2021, it was completely lay led and everyone who built and created and formed all the components of our education and our training had were volunteers uh, and just what they had created was absolutely tremendous. Um, they created an institution to train Kadisha leadership. There were uh, relationships and ongoing classes and trainings. Every year, over 100 people would gather at a conference. Um, and up until 2020, that conference was in person. So really um, incredible uh, connecting and growth within Kadisha. I think even seeing it as a movement, right? Before that, it was not, especially in progressive and pluralistic communities. Uh, And since um, I've joined, we've really been able to put in some of the processes and uh, structure to to continue to measure the impact in a really meaningful way, in a deeper way. And we've seen the growth by leaps and bounds in the last couple of years. For example, just this past year, uh, we had 1,400 participants over all of our programs through uh, the conference, ongoing classes, unique workshops, things like that. We engaged over 18,000 people online throughout the throughout the year in 23. Uh, we had the most people we've ever had at our conference. Again, it was online. We had 255 registrants uh, this past year, over half of, one, uh, of whom were new, a little over half. So joining us for the first time. So we really see this elevation, this interest uh, that's coming. If you had a map of the U.S. denoted where everybody, all, all of the Hevre are, is there any kind of a, a pattern? We often think about these hubs, um, and they're definitely hubs, right? Where you have greater population, you're going to see more Hevre that exist, which, you know, when, when you have greater need, that's you know, that makes a lot of sense. So I think, you know, New York and the Bay Area, D.C. area, L.A., um, we're seeing lots of different that have either been recently created or have existed for a long time. But when we look at the map for it is everywhere and in between. Uh, mm. And that is, I think, uh, just so important to keep in mind, um, especially for those of us who come from big cities, is that the Chavri Kadisha, all puns intended, is alive and well in yeah. small Jewish communities around the country, even communities that are aging. You know, they, the Chavri, it, it remains a core piece of Jewish communal practice. You know, we talk a lot about moving this from obligation to opportunity. 
right? For as many um, that there are, there could be more, right? Um, and I think yep. that, the, that, that there's a real opportunity there for, and for communities to consider um, this as opportunity, because when we move out of traditional like, Orthodox practice or communities that keep Chavra as obligation so that when someone dies, you don't have to think about it, right? That the Chavra shows up for you because that is embedded into the structure of your community. What does that look like when we exit that? Um, and we have to choose, right, what we keep. And so many of us make choices all the time, right? We choose how kosher we might be or how we celebrate Shabbat or do we drive to synagogue or not? Um, and Chavra Kaddish is one of those things that we have to choose. Um, but I think one of the beautiful things is we choose it as a community. So what an opportunity for a community to say, this is how we care for one another. This is what it means in our community when you face the end of life, that this is a, a piece of a full circle and not the closing of it, that we will guide you through into the next part. Because so many people are now dying at home, has there been any movement to bring in the Hebra at that point? I think that's amazing that you you mentioned that, that you're noting that as a trend. And, and you know, so much of these things are trends in a way. Um, many of us still don't die at home, but there is a growing movement to encourage uh, moving these moments, these, these life cycle moments back into the home. And there are um, there are many covers that are considering, right, how do we show up uh, in, for these? And so even just a month ago, we hosted a community meetup uh, online on home Tahara. And we had two folks from uh, the Bay Area, from the West Coast, of uh, the Bay Area in, in L.A., who uh, talked to us about how their chavras are uh, doing home to hara and what that looks like and how they're also, in part, you're supporting the family. It just seems like the natural thing to do. Well, back in the day, right? It was. You think about, right, where the chavra came from, how we used to live. Uh, the chavra walked in the front door. Right. They were the ones who were there from Bikor Cholim uh, through Nichum Avelim, through comforting the mourners from visiting right. the sick until comforting the mourners and everything in between. And so when there was a death, the Chavra walked in the front door um, they were the ones to carry the deceased out on a bier. They were the ones to dig the grave. They gave eulogy for Sahara and Shmira along the way. But really, um, mm. in the home. Was a, was a really big piece of that. What do you see as your main challenges in getting more discussion going on the topic? The surface answer is the, the natural fear and hesitation that we have to talk about end of life. We know that that's shifting and of course it still exists. So how to get people to engage with that, to think about that. So related to that, and then the next level down into what what these challenges are is about engaging communities and conversations about why this is important. Because we've outsourced end of life to other people, because there are, you know, you can check a box when you go to a funeral home uh, and maybe your local funeral home works with other groups or maybe they provide to Hara themselves. Why is it important that our community does it? Right? Why should we invest in creating a Chavra Kadisha? Right? And that, that conversation is so much more than just end of life. Right? That's about communal care and your community's response. And what are your community's values? You know, and those conversations are so important. You know, it, takes, it takes a lot to have them. We, we don't yet know, and we hope to in the future, have a better understanding of how many people choose Tahara 
or Shmira for themselves or for their loved ones. And because we know that most people uh, outside of traditionally Orthodox communities don't even know what those mean, right? They don't know what that entails. And if the first time that you're learning about Tahara is after the death of a loved one and you have to make a hundred decisions, you know, mom didn't go to shul. She didn't, you know, believe it. No, like that just sounds, and yeah. especially if the, if the person who's describing it to you may not be familiar with it themselves, right? you're not going to get the same level of understanding about the, the possibility of what this might mean for you, for uh, if you believe in, you know, the soul of the loved one. So there's a lot in that way. And we think about like education. And so, yeah. And so we, there is this, you know, the bit of marketing, I think that is, is the challenge overall is like, how do we educate? Because we know not everyone, we would love for everyone to want to be part of the Chavra Kadisha to engage, to find their role within that, but it's not going to be for everyone. And that's okay, right? Not every opportunity is, but everyone should know what it is, what the Chavra offers and to discover if this is meaningful and important to you. If you were to pick one next big thing, that you would like to accomplish, what would it be? It's a great question. We just had a whole conversation <laughs> um, with the with our board about what this next year might look like. And what so many of us and, and myself are so excited about is we are uh, hopefully going to launch a leadership training program. I should say relaunch a leadership training program uh, for this coming year that will really focus on current and upcoming Chavra leadership to provide both the um, the hard and the soft skills that are necessary for leadership. Uh, so very specific to Chavra Kadisha, but to also include transferable skills that can be used across Jewish life. There's a real uniqueness about it in that it's it's investing in volunteers and volunteer leadership that we don't often see at this level within Jewish community. I think we touched on it a little bit, but how does this all work when you have a very diverse community? You work really hard to make sure that what you're offering is actually applicable to a diverse community. One thing I've started at saying and understanding a little bit more in my bones is that things move at the speed of relationship. Mm -hmm. And uh, that means developing relationships with with diverse people within the community, right? That, um, you know, aren't all white Ashkenazi, straight, in their 30s, right? And it really means, you know, how are our resources uh, speaking to different people? What kind of resources are we providing when there are opportunities for engagement? Is it for anyone? um, Or are we really targeting a specific group of people? And so in order to do that, we're bringing in advisors and partners to uh, help us imagine and and write and create things that uh, really speak to a spectrum. So for example, you making sure that folks will know, like in our upcoming survey to to build a new Hebrew database, do you offer rituals and opportunities for engagement for trans and non-binary right. people? Um, we recently conducted a survey for Jews of color yeah. um, and specifically around end of life. And so, you know, there are a lot of considerations in there for Chavra Kadisha. You know, one of the, the rituals um, within some Chavras is to comb hair um, of the deceased. Uh, if you're confronted with natural hair, 
do you know what to do? Do you have the tools to, to do that respectfully and, you know, kindly in that moment? Um, and that's, I think there's a lot of uh, things that people haven't thought about within their own communities that they need to and will need to. Um, and so really also working to how do we open up the conversations with the Hevre to, to begin to move and shift into uh, more diverse understandings of our communities. And so, you know, we see it happening across the Jewish world in so many ways. Um, and so we, as we focus here in Hevre, it's also, you know, thinking in partnership with all the incredible organizations out there that are doing the work of making sure that there is inclusion um, and a reflectiveness of, of our wider communities. I want to thank you for giving us your time, educating us a little bit, and offering some significant inspiration as well. Thank you so much for having me, Naomi. It was a pleasure to be in conversation with you about all of this. Mm-hmm.